Welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Kate Bright is a chartered security professional and has worked in and with private security for 20 years. She is trained in close protection and she's worked as Chief of Staff to International Wealthy Families in London from 2000 to 2015. She then set up the award-winning, security-focused recruitment and concierge firm, Umbra International Group. She was shortlisted as Entrepreneurial Woman of the Year in the City Wealth Awards in 2019, and was asked to give a TEDx talk in 2018 on the topic of invisible security and was awarded Outstanding Contribution to the Security Industry by the Security Institute in 2021. Kate Bright, welcome to Women Who Protect. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. I think it's, it's, a, it's a real honor and certainly to showcase uh, some of the other amazing women. So thank you for, for putting me in that, that Hall of Fame. Um, but um, uh, so what I do, uh, I, I run a business here uh, based in London in the UK. We call it a security concierge. So I'll sort of go uh, back to front, really, if start start to sort of the past. But I run the business here in the UK. I'm close protection trained. So I hold a current UK close protection bodyguarding license. um, And I'm operational where where needed for clients. I'm a big proponent of a new sort of a new way of approaching security and what we call secure lifestyle for our clients. Uh, We're a business that provides people advice and project management for private clients, so ultra high net worth, high net worth clients to keep them safe. Um, and the business sort of set itself up, really. Um, I'm always asked, uh, how did I get to, to, to where I've got to? But actually, it's been very organic. And for the last, I would say, five, seven years, um, 2015 was when I sort of first um, semi-set the business up. But 2018 was when I did my TEDx talk about um, invisible security. And that was when things really started to, to sort of motor for me. I guess it, it already started from working as a PA. And so um, the, the the sort of common thread throughout all of my career is that it's been very organic and I have set the business up uh, not with a, a plan in mind. Um, the business has sort of set itself up in to a certain extent. So I, I love that question, you know, what do you do? It's, it's one of my favorites when you sit down at sort of, a, you know, like a wedding. You have to kind of think about who it is you're 
you're talking to, but um, I, know, I know I'm talking to other people in the sector as well. So um, using terms like close protection and things like that, uh, pretty au fait. But I didn't start out in security. And I think that's the most interesting part about uh, when I talk about my, my journey, it's the, the, the bit that I find most interesting in other people's stories, because I started out as a personal assistant. And so security found me. Um, and um, I guess working as a personal assistant, anyone else that's, that's experienced that role, people in that role, know that they are true gatekeepers. And so I think that that idea of protection is the golden thread that's sort of run through my my career, really. Kate, I love that story and the phrase security found me. Um, it, it's interesting because as I talk with women throughout the field of, of security in all the different positions that, that they hold, I've heard similar descriptions and that I sort of, you know, I fell into security. I didn't intend to get here, but this is where I found myself. And so I actually think it's, it's interesting to, to consider that you don't necessarily have to have a, a purposeful path from day one to actually end up with a, quite a robust uh, career within security. hundred percent. And I, I think part of me wants there to be a legacy of sort of logical career paths where uh, you know, my university careers coach, instead of saying to me, here's the PA recruitment companies said, you know, here's a pathway to uh, uh, sort of coming into the security sector with a different model and a way of pre presenting security and secure lifestyle to private clients. Um, you know, I think that's that, that we're maybe a few steps away from that. But I think to your point of finding your passion, I think um, I think I'm really I'm really blessed because I discovered um, about seven years ago, about the same time I was looking to set up the business. Um, this word ikigai, and it's a Japanese word. It's I K A G A I, and it's where your passion, your mission, your vocation, and your profession overlap. Um, and I'm such a geek. I keep a screenshot of that on my home screen on my phone. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Just to remind me of of you know, it, it took me a longer time. I was in my 30s by the time I set my business up. It can take you a long time to find your passion. There's there's um, really inspirational people for whom, um, you know, ideas and things came to them much later in their life. And I, I particularly find people that have transitioned career paths super inspiring because um, particularly my friends from, you know, armed forces and, and um, policing and, and different backgrounds like elite sport who've come into security, how amazing that they've gone from one extremely, um, you know, high, high pressured environment to finding their niche in something else and being equally as passionate about it. But I think you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's, there's too many kind of, um, you know, falling into it stories that there, there should potentially, and there is work being done. I know there's, there's um, some really in, in, interesting work being done to, to really signpost uh, career pathways. And I think it's a really exciting time for um, women to come into sectors such as the, the cyber sector I, I, and, and also a more broader representation of the society that is being protected. I've got a real a real bee in my bonnet about security should look and feel like the society it protects. So I'm, I'm really hopeful and confident that, um, you know, with more people finding their ikigai, um, that the industry will have a broad appeal to, to those that might not have otherwise thought to, to, uh, to have a place within it. And, and I love that. So I've now learned something today hearing that phrase from you, ikigai, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to look up more research on that. But what I love is that um, what I'm hearing from you and I've heard from other women in our field is that you don't have to have known what you want to do from day one. And also you can make a career transition really at any point. And I'd love to hear more, whether it, it's women or men. I did read in your bio that you, that you, part of what you love to do is to help people transition from 
careers in the military from careers in professional sports. Tell me a little bit about what that work looks like for you as well, because I was fascinated when I read that. Yeah. So like I said before, I'm, 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 I'm quite inspired by being around people that um, have made big changes in their lives, who've come from backgrounds that I can only um, aspire to, to, to coming from. I'm, I'm in, in, in awe of the, um, the work that my male and female colleagues who come from military environments have done, particularly those that have done tours of duty. And I think um, this idea that we can, um, we can change and we can adapt and we can morph and we can use our skills from one sector perfectly in another has always, I think, fascinated me. And, and, and a bit like my career and, and my, my work in security finding me, I think this idea that other backgrounds coming into security was a thing came to me totally organically. So when I was working in my, my first career, so I was working in what we call family office and private office here in the UK, um, I, was, I was really sort of, um, it was very seamless uh, uh, sort of integration in my friendship circle of people that not only were in elite parts of military, but also people who come from elite sporting backgrounds. So whether that's playing for their country in um, uh, sports like rugby or cricket or um, some of my female friends who've, who've played at high levels in, um, in football, uh, particularly. And it just struck me that um, one or two of them were sort of looking to leave their, um, their sporting um, careers and backgrounds. And I was going for coffees, as you do when you sort of start a business. I, I think it's a really good idea. And I'll talk more about my tips about um, seeing networking as not working at all. It's, it's a human contact with other humans to help you further your experience and your lived experience and broaden your lived experience to other people. But it just struck me that I was going for coffee after coffee with people that had come out the military or people that were leaving a, um, a professional sporting career. And I was having the same conversations with both sets of friendship groups. And when I came to do my close protection training, which was actually something that was suggested for me by one of the heads of security that I worked with, um, one of the people that really helped mentor me was a friend of mine who had played rugby professionally here in the UK. And he really walked me through the close protection course and the license um, and, and really sort of helped me to get the confidence really to, to, to do it. I owe a lot to that head of security and I owe a lot to him in kind of, you know, really encouraging me. Um, and he's someone who had come out of a professional rugby career. He has had at that time um, trained to be a firefighter. And he also had this um, contractor role working as a close protection operative for a high profile family. And I just thought, wow, you know, that, that, that I, I, I remember thinking I didn't think much of it other than, wow, I mean, he's what, what an amazing story. But then I started to meet more and more of my friends that had come out of sport and they were sort of saying, oh, you know, I don't know what to do next. And I was saying, well, there's this guy I should connect you with who's come out of professional sport and he now works in security. So anyway, long, long, long story short, um, one of my passions in my my relatively little time off that I get because my, my work and my, my sort of business pleasure, I, I, they call it pleasure. Everything seems to blend into one. Um, I go and watch a lot of sport games. I'm, I'm really into my sport. I think there's a lot of parallels between business and sport. And I started to get more involved with and watching uh, women's rugby as well. I started to, to get to know a lot of women leaving professional sport. Now, You'll know from my TEDx talk, Invisible Security, Can Women Protect Men? I'm, I'm a real champion for uh, women coming into the industry. Here in the UK, there's only 5.75% of all close protection bodyguard license holders are, are female. And I know from the client side that the demand is, is set much higher. So 
you know, I'm really trying to encourage women to understand that this is, a, you know, this is a, a legitimate career path to, to come into. And suddenly it struck me that I was hanging out with all these ex-sports friends, men and women. And suddenly I was thinking, gosh, I wasn't watching the rugby anymore from an enjoyment point of view. I was going in talent spotting and thinking, my goodness, that, that sensor would make a great, uh, you know, great part of the team. And, um, and so I started to make some relationships with some of the clubs here in the UK. And one thing leads to another. Um, the, underneath the business, Umbra, that I run, is a real deep sense of, of, of helping others to come into the industry. And we've seen a great examples now that we, where we've helped the funding pathways for men and women coming out of sport to get into, into security. But um, the, 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 the transition around military is, it still remains to this day. I'm, I, I regularly will meet with colleagues and friends coming out of various parts of armed forces. I think that a lot of the, tr the, the skills that you need to work in a security team are translatable across many disciplines, but professional sport and, and private security teams, there's a discipline, a teamwork ethos, a real sort of sense of camaraderie that I have now experienced firsthand works super well. And I'm, I'm really excited about what we can do as a business to really kind of bang the drum about how um, how much more we could do to to really shine a light on on that. So um, yeah, career transition for me, particularly uh, military and sport, is a really huge passion point, as I think you can hear. Well, and fascinating. I had never heard of the a career path that it sounds like you are actively nurturing from professional sport into security. I, I, I've heard a number and, and have a number of colleagues who've had full careers or or partial careers within the military making that transition to security. But I love the idea that now you go watch professional sports with more of a talent recruitment in mind. Um, and I do want to emphasize, because I, I don't want to go too much further without emphasizing for everyone listening, your TEDx talk is, is absolutely brilliant. So you're, if for uh, anyone who's interested, it's called Invisible Security, Kate Bright, and I found it on YouTube and, and it is a, a wonderful talk and, and a great concept. And, and I would think as a, as a young woman, as a woman maybe interested in a career change, highly motivating about the potential for women in the field of security. Um, I wanted to ask you, it's interesting, as, as you're talking about the work that you have done, the work that you currently do in supporting um, family offices, private offices, uh, that the importance of the match between what the family you are, are helping to protect needs and, and the actual protectors involved. And, and I'll share one quick example. Um, I did some consulting work years ago for a very high profile family that was looking for a new security detail for their children because their children were not listening to paying, heeding the advice of their security detail, that the protectors who were charged with keeping them safe, these were middle school students and, and, and high school age as, as well. And one of the things that we helped the, to look at was that the people who were actually doing the protecting for those children were retired police officers at the end of their careers. Uh, they, had, they had just wrapped up a full career. They were really sort of doing this as a bridge uh, position before full retirement a very different age match and and um and as we heard from the children directly directly they were no fun and so one of the things that we did was we helped the family to look at okay what other options do we have and we found some some much younger professionals who had just come out of deployment just left the military and 
took on this role as a security team. And, and not only were they safe, but they also brought the kids to do fun activities in a very safe way, but really helped to develop a much closer relationship between protector and protectee because they gained the children's trust. And it was just fascinating to watch that play out. So my question back to you is sort of how do you look at and figure out a good match? Is that important in the work that you do? And, and, and then how do, you, how do you create that? So, yeah, I, it's, it's um, hearing you talk, it reminds me of um, a family that we helped with um, to, I think, we, yeah, we sort of early, early teens, boys, twins, who uh, just needed to have A, some really great role models around them, but also be the kind of um, individuals, male or female, that could sort of kick a ball around and were um, bridging a gap between that sort of protector, but also yeah, role model and 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 sort of uh, mental guide, really. Um, I think I think going back to what you said about the, the the TEDx talk, this idea of invisible security. I think first and foremost, there 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 yes, there is a, the the um the the sort of risk mapping and profiling, of course, and it's the best man or woman um for the job always. But I think like a lot of the recruitment that we the broader recruitment that we do um, for our clients and the, the the checking and the vetting. Somebody can be one thing on a piece, of, a piece of paper and a completely different kettle of fish in real life. And I think there's this chemistry factor for, um, for, for th- that I've seen when we're recruiting for clients where we're, we're always looking at um, the, what we call secure lifestyle. Um, there's no point in a, in a perfect paper match if, there's, if that person doesn't uh, you know, understand the nuance of either the sort of cultural um, nuances of that client or indeed um, the likes and dislikes of, of um, the younger members of the family and is able to sort of grow with them. So um, I think, I think um, that the, the, to your question, it's, it's always hard because matching people and requirements, our clients are very exacting um, in every aspect of their lives. Um, and particularly when you're talking about children, I think that's often where we're, um, instinctively asked for uh, potentially uh, uh, female post protection solutions. I think there's still a sort of uh, um, maybe this misconception or, or otherwise that uh, female close protection sits most naturally alongside uh, children. I guess there's, again, that invisible security piece blending in with nannies, et cetera, et cetera. But I think as children get older, um, and particularly on, on the case in point around children, I do think that there is a, a real a real priority on getting to know the end client, um, and so yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you've had that that experience. Was that were, were the the children um, to after your project? Were they then sort of did did they find that they were able to understand the protective function better? Because that's what we found is that then they can start to be part of the education around security rather than here's your gilded cage, you're now protected. Um, they were actually able to. They're actually able to be part of understanding and being inspired by the background of the protectors. I don't know if you you found that um, in, in your travels. It, absolutely, and and I think that's a really important point. Is that one of the things that can help protectors do an even better job is actively engage protectees or principals, the people that you are protecting. The more they understand, the more they can actually be a, a collaborator and a partner in their own security and and. Your your point is a, a really important one because that shift going from a mismatch to a better match of protector and protectee, 
allowed for the children to get to know their protectors as people and not just as this person telling me what I can't do. And so it really did help to, to shape that relationship. And, and it took a while. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight, but, but it did help. And, and it's actually a, a tactic that I learned back from my Secret Service days when I was helping to shape details, the protective details for presidential children, that um, the more the children could be brought into the fold in terms of understanding what why protection was important and the important role that they played in the protection, the, the better relationship that, that could be built. It's got to be age appropriate. You're not there to, to scare young children around a whole bunch of bad stuff that could happen to them. But when you can convey some information, they, they can actually become great allies in, in, in the whole security endeavor. Totally. And they're, they're empowered in the process rather than disempowered uh, you know, you're taking away this idea that they're, you know, not part of the protective process. That's, that's, that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Tell me a bit, as, as you have approached this career as a woman, and, and it sounds like, I mean, you shared some, some really frustrating statistics around how few women are in security in the UK. We see something very similar here in the US. I love that you are actively trying to encourage women to go into the field. Are there is there a message that you typically give? Are, are there tips or strategies that, that you've shared to really help encourage more women, even just to consider careers within the field? So, yeah, I have a, I have a bit of a mantra. It's a mantra that I, you know, I don't do anything. I don't give any advice that I don't take myself. Um, and it's looking around, looking beyond and looking within. So the around bit is your network. And um, I said earlier about this idea of uh, this very stilted word network and people get a bit scared by this idea of networking. Um, and it's something that I think we need to really kind of um, try and help young people to understand that it is the person next to them at the gym that they see every day um, in their hometown. It's the friends at school that then go on to do stuff that they can keep a contact with, let alone the people they meet in their first jobs or, or um, prior jobs, prior to, to any sort of career transitions. It's the um, the neighbors in your block. It's, you know, this idea of networking being some like event that you go to with a business card and stand in the corner with warm wine and, you know, not knowing who to look at and talk to. I think we need to kind of really reframe that for this, this next generation coming through. You've got this great thing called social media and, and, and it's a blessing and a curse, but I would say more so than ever before, particularly platforms like LinkedIn, you're able to connect with people in a really professional way. And I have only been able to grow a business through the power of my network, not networking, but the power of my network. And that is me 
putting into my network. And that is also me asking from my network. So I like to think I've built up like an equity of love <laughs> where I've done favors, I've helped, I've done the stuff for free. I've, you know, done all of those things over the course of my career on, on the basis that, uh, and, and not, not because I wanted to then call those favors in, but um, you're then able to um, to really start to reap the rewards of a, of a really solid network, not just the kind of adding people because they look like great connections, but getting to know those people. And I love people connecting to me, um, particularly on LinkedIn, to talk to me about their you know, struggles or you know where they're at and tips and tricks because they've taken the time to find me. They've asked me a question um, and it behoves me to pass that mantle backwards of helping you know, just even that connection, I think, is really important. Um, and then looking, so that, that's that's sort of the looking around. Looking, looking beyond is um, all about CPD. So, I'm a I'm a sort of frustrated non non ex military person. So I'm really into <laughs> and through. I'm a frustrated non athletic uh, professional athlete. You know, in a, in another lifetime, I'm I'm track and field. I'm something incredible. I did do Brighton Marathon this weekend. So maybe I'm I'm just sort of living my my dream in a different way. Oh, well done. I, uh, thank you. I'm a huge believer in um, learning. So never stop learning. I think this started from my my um, language degree. Uh, so I did French at university. The amount of clients that I have talked to in French that are so delighted when I speak to them in their own language inspired me to every client that I met from different cultures and, and different um, countries over the years. I'm blessed with a very linguistic mother. I've really made an effort to try and at least get to know a bit about how to uh, to get by in in other languages. Now, for other people, that's um, you know other um, parts of training, being able to keep your skills active. Um, here in the UK, we've got a real sort of continuous professional development kind of mindset woven into uh, keeping your close protection license. So for me, I you know last year I did my advanced driver training. I'm always trying to kind of mix up my skills both in terms of my licensable sort of skills, but also my life skills as well. Um, I became a chartered security professional last year. I had to do it the hard way because I didn't come from a security management background. I had to write a thing like a dissertation, hadn't put pen to paper for about 800 years. So that was a really good test of my, my sort of, um, you know, my professional development mindset. So never stop learning, take all the courses you can. When I was working on the client side, I gently suggested to one client that we should have um, a language tutor and to my delight she said yes so the team were, were able to have you know add that into their kind of skill set um, and then the other one the final one is um, looking within so I think we, we all talk about sort of mental health aspects of, of life now um, I, I'm more about talking about the physical and mental side of it I think we have a, a, a duty as humans now in a post-pandemic world to keep ourselves physically fit. That's not trying to do a marathon at 43 years old. I would not recommend that. That is not what, uh, what this is all about. But um, some sort of uh, sensible approach to your physical health, particularly working in physical security, I think it's just really good um, uh, as from, a, from a mindset point of view to really um, get that down pat. And then the same as you do with flexing your, your muscles and, and developing your physical fitness, I think it's just so important to do that in a mental fitness way. And I wish I'd known earlier how important it was and, how, and what, of a, what a, a great thing it was to start to do some much more um, some talking therapies and things that I've done over the years and how I wish I'd done that earlier so I could get to know myself better. So I was able to kind of stress test myself and be more resilient 
uh, and be the best I can be for my clients. So the look around, look beyond, look within has been my, my, my absolute mantra, your network, your CPD and your physical mental health. If you can, if you can rotate around having at least one or two of those in your orbit every day, then I think, I think you're, you're in good stead. Oh, I think that is an absolutely fantastic mantra. And, and thank you for sharing that and the details within each of those. Um, and I especially want to emphasize my absolute agreement with your last point around the importance of kind of mental health support, talk therapy, just introspection for, um, you know, for security professionals uh, it, it is paramount and something that, at least in the U.S., security pe- professionals don't often get a chance to access. There's still stigma. Uh, there's still concern. I mean, I know of, there are some law enforcement agencies that that still ask on an application if you've ever had any sort of therapy as a concern that they would flag for possible employment. And I actually think it should be the reverse. It should be, uh, you know, that, that have you never done therapy? Okay, that's a concern. If you have done therapy, wonderful. We, we, we want to consider you more. Just because it helps us be better professionals at what we do, the more we understand our own motivations, things that, that have created immense stress for us, how to get beyond them, et cetera. 100%. And I, I did... Um... As part of my practice, what I preach, I did my mental health first aid training course last uh, January, I think it was. And as I did it, I, I thought to myself, what a clever course. You're learning how to help others by learning about yourself. Um, and it just struck me that mental health first aid training, understanding and learning where um, potential issues lie in others, A, is such a great tool for security professionals to have um, because they're often at the front line of people's emotions um, and the feeling of safety and security is a hugely sort of psychological matrix. But but how great to do a course where I got to know a bit more about the traits and, and, and the characteristics of various mental illnesses, because we all have a mental health, like a physical health. We're all at a, a, a sort of a gradient of our mental health every single day. So without pushing the point too much, I, hundred, I would 1000% say to any security professional um, listening that the mental health first aid training that I have done has not only helped me with that third part of my mantra, but I also believe that that's made, making me a better security professional all around. Oh, I, I love that tip. Mental health first aid training is something that that is finally starting to catch on, but I absolutely agree. It, it is primarily for people who may be on the front lines of dealing with someone who is experiencing real distress and, and possibly a mental health crisis. If you're in that you know, possible hostile confrontation, you need to know the right things to say to de-escalate and then to help connect that person with the right resources. You also want to make sure you don't do things that could inadvertently make the situation worse. So it is so absolutely practical, but just to your point, it also gives a, a wonderful understanding for people around a whole range of things that, that they may be experiencing, their family may have gone through. So it is, it is great training. I'm so glad you highlighted that. My last question is just, um, as a woman in the field of security, are there challenges that, that you have faced because you're a woman or that for some of the security professionals, females that, that you have hired and helped place, any challenges you've seen by virtue of the fact that, that they are women? And if so, and any advice or lessons learned around how to get around those? So I think because I've always been um, uh, different, uh, in terms of my background coming coming from a non-military background and also being female, you might say that that's sort of a double whammy of 
of difference. I think I've only ever seen um, challenges as things that uh, as things that will make me stronger. Um, and I think the there's the, the sort of Irish Bavarian grafter in me that I guess I've never really sort of plowed through and into anything I don't believe that I can get out the other side of. Um, what, what I've witnessed uh, and what I see from other women in the industry, I think um, it is that sense of being part of a smaller percentage. And so therefore, I think we have to work harder to make sure that the, you know, the, 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 the sort of the network, the CPD and the physical mental health is in, is in check because we're a smaller percentage, right? So we want to make sure that we're putting our, our best foot forward. I think, I think the, the idea that there is a sort of, um, there's somehow still this misconception that um, female operators can only work with children. That's something that I certainly hear a lot, but not necessarily from people within the industry. I think a lot of the challenges that um, I've certainly faced is changing clients' perception. Um, uh, and that's just because it's sort of deeply ingrained, ironically, not in some of our Middle Eastern clients who um, firmly understand that the importance of a, an integrated team in, in every aspect, not just um, from a gender perspective. But I think I think tips for, for women coming in, you know, I, I am encouraging, actively encouraging more women to come into the industry. I think we've got uh, the ability now, as I said, with um, tools like uh, LinkedIn, and certainly I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm, I'm, you know, saying I will, I will actively champion it, champion those women who are demonstrating the quality and the level um, that it takes to work in the industry. That there's a, there's a place at my table anytime. Um, I think I've got a phrase that I learned from um, a real sort of um, stalwart supporter of mine, Simon, um, called it's, it's man, a man ambassador. And I know it's a bit cheesy, but um, I think my, my, my advice is that I think don't, don't see your network in a sort of any particular lens, gender or otherwise. I think you need um, you need ambassadors, but you, you, you need a great network of people that will champion your skills. But you need to have the skills to champion in the first place. So I, I've always, always um, and I think it's a family thing, a bright family trait. You know, try to um, try to be the most overprepared in any room. Because then you could only land in a place where you're, you're asking a question because you genuinely don't understand it. And I think anyone in any situation where you don't understand a question um, and, and any challenges that I've faced in my time have been when I, where I haven't asked that question. Um, but it takes time to find, find your voice. And I'm still finding it. You know, I'm still now I'm moving into more um, sort of like trustee roles and, and board roles. It's a completely different um, mindset that you need around the challenges of being uh, you know, not only a woman in business, a woman in security, a woman in the boardroom. Um, so, you know, keep those ambassadors and keep those keep that network close because there's no challenge that you're going to face that you can't solve with a conversation with somebody who is either experienced or completely disconnected from um, that that uh, that that situation. I think I'm really lucky to have a wide range of of network from a wide variety of industries, so I can get a really kind of um, a uh, very lateral uh, set of <laughs> of advice on occasion from people that don't come anywhere from the security industry that I can take back in. Um, I, I, as a result, I, I, I'm rereading Matthew Said's book, Rebel Ideas, at the moment. I really believe that we need to kind of embrace this idea of of difference and difference of thought. And I think, yeah, my 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 um, advice to anyone that's feeling like they're in a challenging position is to is to know that your voice is valid. Be the most prepared in the room, um, and and keep your network and certainly your your key ambassadors across sector and and out of sector close. 
And and I love the encouragement about asking questions because the in throughout my career in all different experiences, whether it's graduate school, U.S. Secret Service, private security consulting, I finally realized that if I have a question, chances are someone else in that room also has the question, and it, it's it's always best to speak up and ask. Um, and, and you know, and 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 to your point of of serving on boards, et cetera, it's easy to go into a new situation be the newest person there and feel like I'm the only one that doesn't know the rules of the road. But regardless, um, I think it's so important to speak up from a security standpoint, from a safety standpoint, always ask those questions. I love that advice. Definitely. And and also, I think it's part of good governance and challenge. If you don't understand something, to have somebody super experienced, get out of their mindset of, uh, this is not ever a question I've been asked before, to have to relay that information back. I think that can sometimes in my experience and, and being told by other members of, of committees that I serve on, um, my challenge enables them to think about things in a way and have to explain it in a way that they perhaps haven't before and that they'll always take something from that challenge. So, um, yeah, de- definitely the asking questions bit is, um, I think, a real key. The only thing I'd love to get a little more detail on is the the this concept of a secure lifestyle. We talked about it a bit, and I've I've read about it on on your bio, et cetera. But I'd love to hear more detail on what is as you talk about it. What is a secure lifestyle, and 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 what do you mean by that? So when I started the business, um, it, it was as I said, uh, start it sort of it, it grew organically, and, and I didn't sort of have a plan of what we were going to do. The three services of people, advice, and project management were clearly defined right at the start and they still remain to this day, the sort of recruitment, particularly of security personnel, the advice, and then the project management around every aspect of whether that's uh, uh, sort of property security or digital security. And it soon um, it soon really struck me that a lot of our clients were looking at either physical risk or digital risk in isolation and weren't looking at this whole idea of the sort of uh, the life that they were living or the practical applications or they were they were only concerned about one type of risk and not not really interested in another. And so, this idea of a secure lifestyle really started to emerge when we were dealing with more and more younger clients and clients where we were looking at considerations for then what we call next gen or the, the rising gen or the, the, the sort of the younger parts of a family, particularly in multi generational families where their um, younger younger members are taking over family businesses. Let's say, um, and so I think the the, the phrase the phraseology was. Um, it really stemmed from this idea of a holistic view of how how uh, uh, you can't look at risks in isolation, but that risk has to be mapped around the kind of life that a client wants to lead. So, um, for example, right at the start of my prior career, um, I remember being part of a, um, a physical security review and a property review. Um, the principal at the time had two young sons. We're talking lots about young sons today. There's a theme here, maybe. Um, but they were actually coming into going into what we would call second. Uh, uh, sorry, um, they were going into uh, sixth form. So they were what seventeen, eighteen. So they were at the start of their out and about, you know, discovering kind of nighttime venues and things like that. Um, and the suggestion of having very high spec biometric systems and and uh, you know uh, uh, iris entry systems in the house was mooted. And um, one of the one of the key moments I think where secure lifestyle really sort of struck me as a great way to communicate with clients this idea of lifestyle appropriate risk was when um, this very expensive system had been put in place, 
But when these these sons were coming back from nights out, they were unable to work the system, enter into the system. There was a, a real sense of uh, of you know why have we got the system in place? And guess what? The very expensive jazzy system was then um, unplugged and, and never used again. Um, so you know, uh, and and I think that's a sort of more of a light hearted. Um, uh, sort of anecdote around it, but a secure lifestyle is really the, the 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 peace of mind that we aim to infuse and infuse within our clients' family structures, so that we're not imposing security on them. It's something that is a daily habit. It's a it's a piece of education that is woven through, um, and that the people and the the advice and the project management is always appropriate to the risk, but also the lives that they want to lead. So it's become our sort of catchphrase if you like um uh to to, to living a, a life that's that's more peace of mind than uh, than protocols that are, are not going to be practical kate bright thank you so much for joining us on women who protect your your story is fascinating the story of security finding you uh i have now learned a new word of ikigai and and love that and your mantra of looking around looking beyond and looking within so incredibly inspiring Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast@ontech.co or visit ontech.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.